Welcome to the EquipCast for the Archdiocese of Omaha. Designed to help leaders to transform their cultures, to embody the pastoral vision, to be one church, encountering Jesus, equipping disciples, and living mercy. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to the EquipCast. My name is Jim Jansen, and I'm your host. And I am joined by an old friend. Adam, how long have you known each other? Over 20 years. Gosh, I think we probably met each other in 1999. 1999. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Adam Yabara joining us here on the podcast today. We're going to talk a little bit about invitation. Um, but Adam, you know how this goes. Tell, tell everybody a little bit about you. Like, tell about your journey of faith. Where'd you first encounter Jesus? Well, um, as Jim said, I am an older friend. Therefore, I probably <laughs> have had a little bit more life experience, but um, went to the University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I'm from Lincoln, Nebraska. I currently reside in Omaha. I'm the director of evangelization and catechesis at St. Stephen the Martyr. And it was probably my junior year of college where I actually met Jesus. And I was brought up in a Catholic home. Both my parents were Catholic. We They were youth ministers. So we had a lot of youth group. We, a lot of the weird Catholic people that you see in the world, that, that was my family. That was my life growing up with priests coming in for dinner and all these teenagers that I really didn't know what was going on. And so like living a Catholic life was just, that was what I thought it was. But mm -hmm. it wasn't until I got to college where I actually was able to make my own decisions, good, bad, or indifferent, most of them bad. And probably my junior year of college, I was deep in fraternity life and deep in college life and very, very far away from the Lord. I had quit attending mass, no sacraments, nothing, and met Jesus. It's kind of funny because I, when I tell this story, it sounds really ridiculous, but I think a lot of people can relate to it because I knew that St. Mary's and Lincoln had confession every Saturday from 3.30 until 4. And I would, I would play this game where I would kind of like stage myself outside of the confessional and do the law of averages for the people that were walking in and out of the confessional to see if I could actually make it in mm -hmm. before mass. Cause like, it was all, it was all in the attempt, right? The attempt was good enough. Right. And so like, I would stand there and for a couple of weeks, I would do this where I would just go there and just for whatever reason, I just didn't have the, the courage yet to go into the confessional. Cause I knew deep down inside that I needed to, I needed the sacrament but I wasn't ready yet to kind of verbalize everything that, that had gone wrong in my life, that it had been mm -hmm. broken. And I remember going in and for, for whatever reason, thankfully they soundproof the, the confessionals. Um, I shut the door behind me and it's dark and it's dimly lit. There's a kneeler that is like the old pleather covering that's kind of cracked. Well used. I know, well used, and you you kneel down, and when you kneel down, it activates a light in the in the priest side of the confessional, and this little gate window opens up, and it's still muffled, and I kind of hear him, you know, it's like, welcome to confession, let's begin, and immediately my heart begins to race, and yeah, I just was like, Father, I've, I have not been to confession in probably three years, and I really don't know where to start. And so he started and he walked through all the commandments with me and we stopped and what seemed like probably an hour, which actually was probably like 10 minutes, mm -hmm. um, went through this inventory of the last three years of my life. He gave me my, um, my penance. And I remember when I opened the door, it was like, 
like the angel choirs of hosts, like the, the light just seemed bigger and brighter. Everything just like, just textually felt different. And it was this weight had been lifted from, from my life of three years of, of not going to confession or receiving the sacraments. And most people would think, well, well, at that point, you know, you're, you're good to go. Well, no, not true because I still have free will and you know, the desire to do what I want to do. And so it probably honestly wasn't until uh, I encountered focus at the university of Nebraska in 1999, where we had spent all summer long raising money for a campus fee for this group of missionaries that father Mattia, who was the chaplain still is a chaplain at the Newman center, didn't really know a lot about, but he was, he was convinced that this was going to change the face of the university and the, and the diocese of, of Lincoln. And so we raised money and we played music out on 14th and O. We collected pledges. That's right. We called people. Wow. And then I remember it was in Wahoo, Nebraska, where this group of 20-somethings comes sauntering in, and it's the focus missionaries. And there's actually names and faces that were going with these people that we've been raising money for. And I remember Jim getting thrown into the pool. I remember Greg getting thrown <laughs> into the pool. But it was, that was like actually like my very first, like from a distance introduction of who Jesus was, because this group of individuals had come in and there was just something different about them, the way that they lived out their, their faith, the way that they lived out um, community with each other. And there was something different about them. And I remember spending many, many hours in that rundown apartment, watching them chase each other with cups of water and flour and yeah ranking each other. <laughs> yeah, Things haven't changed. Um, but yeah, just like I was really drawn into the faith by this group of individuals who knew who they were, but even more so knew whose they were. And going into um, back into the Newman Center, from an, from an outsider's perspective, like I wanted to be on the inside of that. I wanted to, to mm -hmm. know what it was that they knew. I mean, I was attending daily mass and I was attending uh, the sacraments regularly, but there wasn't really much of a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus. And at that time I was, I was discerning seminary. I was discerning like the next steps of my life. Um, but there was always this voice in the back of my head of, you know, I want more, I want more from mm -hmm. you. And yeah, I mean, fast forward from that year, that was 99, um, in 2000, year 2000, I remember getting in a car with two of the missionaries and we were going to go drive out to the University of Illinois in Champaign to see my old Bible study leader and a trip that should have taken us maybe seven hours took us nine and a half because they kept taking wrong turns. Days before Google Maps. But, I mean, this is back when you had to print off the directions. Yeah. <laughs> you know, have a map, an actual map. And I remember uh, going to the, to the University of Illinois and just again, taking another deep dive into friendship with these people. And on the way home, um, them just asking me like, you know, we think you should apply to be a focus missionary. And that was the furthest thing from my mind. I'm like, I am I'm a young adult. I have my life in order. I'm working in a professional job. But at the same time, I still had not really had this personal conversion to Jesus. It was still very like 30,000 foot view. Again, fast forward another another six months, I interview, barely make the hiring um, for another <laughs> myriad of reasons that can go into stories elsewhere. Um, 
but got sent to the University of Northern Colorado after training for eight weeks. And it was in that moment where I actually was kind of alone for the first time, mm-hmm. away from all my family and friends. Greeley, Colorado is unforgiving <laughs> in the environment, I'll say, because it has a, a slaughterhouse on the north side and a feedlot on the south side. And those winds, when they cross, gives a new meaning to uh, the smell of nature, if you will. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah, it's really, it's intense is a good word, but I remember um, my first year just not knowing what, what it meant to have a relationship with the Lord. And my pastor at the time um, was his first year at St. Peter's in Greeley was Father Rocco Porter. And he was kind of coming in to campus ministry for the first time as well. And so the two of us became really, really good friends. And the first thing that he did when I met him was he gave me a key to the church. He goes, you come in whenever you want, whenever you want, however you want. And this is your home away from home. And so I remember going in there late at night and just kind of staring at the crucifix and just like, just staring, like no conversation, but it was just like trying to intellectualize what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. Because at this point, like, as you remember, Jim, we didn't really have like holy hours per se. And so like, we were trying to figure out like what it meant to spend time with Jesus. And, and I really think like in those, those late night visits to the church that the Lord just really invited me in to just rest with him, you know, in, in a new way where I didn't have to worry about being winsome. I didn't have to worry about knowing the right thing to say. I didn't have to worry about, you know, <laughs> this Bible study that I was leading and team dynamics and, and none of that, none of that mattered. The fact that I was there for, with him was, was enough. And I, I also remember um, learning a lot that year about St. Teresa Plessu and how she would also do the same thing where she would sit in the chapel and just kind of like stare off and like basically like watch the paint peel and be <laughs> angry and bored and disengaged. But the fact that she was there was good enough. So yeah, long story short, um, longer story short, I should say. I think it was through my time with Focus that I actually learned what it meant to have a vibrant relationship with the Lord and to really like own it in, in a new way that wasn't something that my parents had given me. Like, I think, like, I thank God that the Lord gave me the parents that I have. And, you know, growing up in the hippies, hippie days of the seventies, that that was really what was a, a great foundation for where I am now. Yeah. So it's, 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 it's still a journey. I mean, I, I don't think that even sitting in my office in my chair right now, like the Lord's done with me. He's never done. But I think like he has brought me to where I need to be so that I can actually show people what it is to, to encounter him. You know, Adam, we've been friends for many years. And as I listen to your story, what strikes me is how blessed your life was and how fruitful, how the Lord was using you, even as you were under construction, you know, mm-hmm. before you even know or like all in on this Jesus thing, you're still an instrument doing fundraising to help bring this team of missionaries. And then you're leading a Bible study and you're, you're serving as a missionary. And I think this may be a nice branch into our, our conversation today. I mean, you have now been serving the church as a professional missionary for decades. If there were an essential habit besides prayer for a missionary, it's that ability to make a personal invitation. Yep. Talk a little bit about that, the role of personal invitations. Sure. 
Um, so go, again, going back to my, my very first year as a missionary with Focus at the University of Northern Colorado, I inherited a Bible study that was started by Curtis Martin, who is the president and founder of Focus, was then taken over by one of his disciples, John Zimmer. And so they're getting like this high level theological. Yeah, no, no pressure, Adam. Yeah, no pressure. Don't get it wrong. Don't screw it up. And I, I had never led a Bible study. I had never discipled anybody at that point, walked with anybody at that point. And here I have the only men's Bible study on campus. And mm-hmm. all these, these, these guys are looking to me to be a teacher, to be a sounding board, to, to be a spiritual mentor. And I'd never done it. And I think that as, as I looked at that, I was like, and, and I'm sure most people that, some people that are going to be listening to this kind of um, may have a similar feel like they have to have all the answers. That's exactly where I was at. Mm-hmm. And I didn't realize like my own ability of just asking somebody to go have lunch or go to the grocery store or go to the mountains mm-hmm. was more powerful than anything theologically that I could give them because getting them away from all of the noise and all of the rigmarole and mundane things of their lives for an hour or two hours, we had friendship and we had the ability to go into deep conversations. Yeah. And yeah, I just think that it's, it's so overlooked that <laughs> we have to do these big things to get an opportunity to meet people when it's really looking at like one person away from who we are two people away from who we are. Yeah. Just being in relationship uh, makes a huge, huge difference. And I think it's being in relationship in a way that's very natural and in a way that's very authentic and real, you know, because like, I I know that there are people that I'll, I'll meet and to no fault of their own, like the car salesman, right? I know that they have an agenda that they want me to walk off of their lot having dropped 25K. Yeah, they're trying to sell a car. Right, they're trying to right. sell a car. Like I, I am just trying to get to know you. I am trying to to introduce you to my my best friend, mm-hmm. um, and that's it. <laughs> you know, I remember we we used to do uh, we used to have barbecues when I became the team director at the University of Nebraska Omaha. We would do these barbecues, and so we would be out on the plaza giving away like hot dogs and hot chocolate. And you walk up to students who are like shivering wrapped up like Eskimos and you go up to them and hand them a hot chocolate and a hot dog. And the first thing they say is like, what do I have to do for it? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> like eat it, take it, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like you don't have to do anything. Just, just accept, just receive what I'm giving you. So yeah, there's just some natural things that we can do uh, as people to continue to invite them into deeper relationship. Okay. So Adam, I, I want to talk a little bit about the role of personal invitation in the mass communication era, because I, I think I notice a, a preoccupation amongst churchy folks, parishes in particular, like, oh man, we've got to get really good at mass communication. And while I love that, I think there's maybe a little bit of a trap there. How do you think the role of personal inv- invitation has changed in the context of our mass communication era? That's a really good question. And, and I think I see this um, in two ways. I spend a lot of my free time coaching volleyball. So I've uh, coached volleyball at Scott Catholic. And yeah. we, 
We just won our seventh state title in a row. I know. Is that a trophy behind your head? That is, that is a trophy and two medals that I have here. Two first place medals. That's awesome. Not everybody can see it, but yeah, Adam's got it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm, as I'm working with high school kids, I see it a lot in them. And just from like a, like a coaching standpoint, right? Mm-hmm. Like you have six individuals on a court. Their purpose is to not like to protect the floor. We don't want to let a ball hit the floor. But there's such a breakdown in the communication because how do they normally communicate? via text message, via Snapchat, via mm, Instagram. Wow. Like there's, there's no face-to-face conversation that happens. And I think you, you put that into a bigger, bigger perspective of the rest of the world. Like we really rely a lot on mass communication to take the place of personal invitation, you know? And I, I think that it's, it has really become a challenge because people just by habit at this point in their lives would rather send a text message. I, I mean, I talk to people all the time uh, about this. And my first thing is don't text them, call them, try and meet up with them, have a conversation with them. And it paralyzes people because there's, there's, there is such a safety zone, a perceived safety zone. Yeah. I can send a text message to you and you don't have, you can infer whatever you want to infer by it, even if I don't mean it. Yeah. Oh gosh, I think you're really right there. And I think for many of us, it's the fear of being misunderstood yep. and told no. And, and I mean, I get that, but something about making a very personal invitation that even if they don't say yes, if you can just kind of quiet the noise in your head and just be right, just love the person in front of you, people can feel that. And even if they say no, you usually walk away in a better spot in your relationship. Yeah. I think, I think it's all about the art of discovery. Like Mm -hmm. we we have lost the art of discovery, like discovering ourselves, discovering other people. I mean, again, like look at mass communication. Like I can find out anything that I want to about Jim Jansen by Googling you, Mm -hmm. by going to your Facebook page. And I can make these narratives and these assumptions based upon what I see and then I, I create this, this persona of who you are without ever having to meet you, mm-hmm. you know? And I think that we rely a lot upon mass communication to take the place of personal connection, interpersonal connection. And that, that's been one of the big things that I've really tried to reinforce here at the parish is like, it's good to put out things that are, that are, that look good and that look sharp, but nothing is going to take the place of you personally inviting somebody to something. Yeah, people who are professional marketers, right, who are paid to help dealerships sell cars or you know, the, the golden like thing that they want is referrals, right? They want people telling other people about their product. Yep. Yep. Yeah, because like it's I have a really my favorite coffee shop in in Omaha is this little boutique um, coffee shop called Stir Coffee. Like I Stir Coffee is one of my favorite places to go and meet people in Omaha because it's simple. I know the people that are there. And when you walk in, they care about you. And in turn, if I leave anything like that, I will go and tell people to go patronize those types of places because they notice the little things. They notice the little details. They know your name. Yeah. High touch, high service is like the business differentiator right now. And the irony is for us in the church, like 
that should be a home game of who we are because yeah. we don't just see a customer walking through the door. We see someone, right? We see a brother or a sister. We see someone, you know, who like who, who Christ died for walking through the door. Yeah, and it's it's hard because we most people who are not working in the church as a professional will only see people in the in a church setting maybe once a week, maybe twice a month. Yeah. You know, and so that that ability to have an impact and that ability to have a connecting point diminishes substantially as as time goes on. And so how do we as a church encourage people to see outside of themselves? Yeah. You know, and it, we're, we're doing this right now as we're looking at getting ready for um, Christmas Eve masses. Like, how do we have the right people that are greeting? <laughs> you know, do we have the right people who are helping yeah. to usher? Like, what does it look like when, like, when I put my hand on the door at St. Stephen's, am I going to have a different experience than I would at like Target? Like, what is the difference? Mm-hmm. You know? And so, yeah, it's, it's, it's hard because we want to do really good things and we want to do really great things, but <laughs> we kind of have to get over ourselves and the fears that we have about really just kind of like standing forward and just kind of going for it. Adam, I think a lot of people, as they think about engaging in someone's life, how do you do that without it? Like, how do you cut through the noise in your head that says, oh man, this isn't the right time. I'm pushing them too far. They're not going to like this. Yeah. Um, I uh, hear the voice of one of my old chaplains in, in the back of my head when you ask this question, cause he would always say, don't kill somebody with a bazooka of truth. Don't, don't, blow, don't blow their faces off. I love that. Because I think like I'm, I get really excited as, as most people about things that are important to them. Right. And when you look at like a life of faith, we should be excited about that, but we want to give somebody who might not be ready for the, the bigger picture of what it means to live a Catholic Christian life. We might give them everything when all they need is really just somebody to listen. Yeah. Someone who is willing to ask him a question, someone who, who just knows their name. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if I go, if I meet somebody new and, and I'm sure some listeners will raise an eyebrow at this, like I rarely will bring somebody to mass as the first point of contact. No, I think that's awesome. I think you're exactly right. And mm-hmm. pretty not, not worried about your faithfulness or your love. <laughs> <laughs> right for, for the Lord. I think this is, you're, you're a seasoned missionary. Yeah. Say more about that because it's kind of intuitive to a lot of people. Yeah. Cause I mean, like if we have the, the, <laughs> the fullness of the truth sitting in our tabernacles, mm-hmm. body, blood, soul, and divinity waiting for us for 2000 years, why wouldn't we want somebody to come and encounter him that way? Yeah. But if I have a person who doesn't even know what it, what a church proper, like the building means, me bringing them to mass and having them go through the postures, having them go through the readings, having them go through the, the beautiful ritual that's the church, they have zero clue about that. Yeah, I actually think it's rude. Yeah. It's kind of mean. Now, granted, you can kind of sit next to them and try and walk them through it, but yeah. it is clearly made for insiders. Yeah. And, and most of the time, that's, that's usually not the right first step. Again, yeah. for someone who's you know, unchurched, not familiar with any of this. I think it also goes into how we do ministry in general. I think back to my time working with students, right? Like 
you have <clears throat> students that you're that you're mentoring that you're walking side by side with in the hopes that they will in turn uh, begin to multiply and do their own bible studies do more outreach and bring more people into into the church like that's the hope but you have a student or people in your parish who they're they're thinking the end goal is a bible study mm-hmm. they're thinking that, that that's the end all be all like that's just the vehicle that's just the vehicle by which you make the the introduction to Jesus. Right. And insert, insert retreat, insert any other thing that we sometimes substitute the program or the experience rather than the person. Yep. And then like, if you think about it, like for those that are, that are listening to this, um, the times that you may have had really great feelings and vibes about kicking off a small group. Mm-hmm. And you've advertised it. You've sent text messages and phone calls and emails to invite people. And you started with a pool of 20 people. And you're like, I think 18 of them will show. And on the first night that you're going to do it, one shows up. Right. My first question back to you in your time of frustration and, and despair is like, what did you do to build the relationship with you before you extended the invitation to a small group? Yeah. You know, because like, I think like, the Bible study that I, that I have here at, at St. Stephen's, like that was the way that I <laughs> kind of went about it. Like I'm going to meet guys in the parish. I'm going to try and get one-on-one time with them and just kind of see like, how, how do these pieces of individuals fit together to make a bigger puzzle? Like how do, yeah. how do those little puzzle pieces fit together to make a bigger picture as opposed to like, I'm just going to have one touch point with them at, through the course of a week or a month. And then Hope to God that they show up on Wednesday night at 7.30. Yeah. Adam, why do you think it's so hard for us? I think we live in, a, in an age where we are expected to be experts at everything, right? Because you think, think about like, I even did this today. My, my sister and I are talking about gifts for my parents for Christmas. And she shoots me this link to this website to order stuff. I'm like, I don't know what this is. So what am I going to do? I'm going to research the website and see if it's really worth its salt, you know, and we kind of had that same position in our lives where there's a little bit of a feeling that if I don't know the answer, if I don't look like I have the answer, have it all together, somebody's going to be sitting in this room. That's going to prove me wrong. Uh, And heaven forbid that I ever look like I'm wrong. Like I don't have it all together. Right. And so if, if that fear is there, (laughs) that's going to really do a, a huge number on us because then we were kind of paralyzed, like uh, paralysis by analysis, right? Like I, I have to have everything done right. And I have to be studied up right in everything in order to have a 10 minute conversation Yeah. because heaven forbid that they come back at me with something that I don't know. Well, and even more, I feel like at the root of that is this idea that it is all about us. Yeah. But well, who's, who is primarily making friends here? Is it the Lord in me? Letting the Lord be the one who is inviting and drawing and working. And I'm just kind of the vehicle. That, that takes a lot of the pressure off. Mm-hmm. And there, there are going to be times and um, situations where you really invest a lot of who you are into an individual by, in, in the hopes of inviting him into something deeper. And they walk away. Yeah you know, and that that's happened on a number of occasions and to myself. And I'm sure to you as well, mm-hmm. we're just like, gosh, like, what did I do wrong? 
Like, did I say something wrong? Did I give them a dirty look? Did they think it was a dirty look? I was really just sneezing, <laughs> you know, yeah. like and we create this narrative in our heads. But at the end of the day, it's like, if, if I'm listening to what the Lord is asking me to do, you know, that I have eyes to see and ears to hear. It's all about me just responding to how he is directing me. Yeah. So Adam, how do you know what the Lord is doing in someone's life? How do you know what the Lord is inviting you to do in cooperation with him? I mean, very mm -hmm. practically, how do you know? Yeah, I think um, I am a huge fan of, I'm giving a lot of shout outs right now, but I'm, I'm a huge fan of the pro-sanctity movement here in, in Omaha. Oh yeah. Um, those women have, have changed my life, especially Franca, Franca Salvo. And she would always um, have this way of just kind of like looking at me, right? And I'm like, you're totally reading my soul right now. <laughs> I don't have to say anything to you. And you know exactly what I don't want to hear, but you're going to say it anyway. But I think like her ability to be so in communion with, with the Holy Spirit and with Jesus and just like to put herself in a situation where she's vulnerable to him first before she's vulnerable to me. Mm. helps her to have a heightened sensibility of what I need, mm -hmm. you know? And I think like, again, like people are not projects by any means by which we have to fix mm -hmm. people are, people just want to be received and known and cared for. And in, in my experience, like as I go out and about, like pray before I go out, pray while I'm having a conversation and afterwards, like, Lord, what is it that you want me to hear? And as I'm, as I'm faithful to just that very simple method of being attentive to Jesus and the Holy spirit, there are little like light bulbs that come on in conversations. Yeah. Repeat those questions. Like Jesus, what, what am I supposed to hear? What am I supposed to hear? What is the next question that you want me to, to ask about this one thing that is like swirling around in my head? Mm -hmm. You know, it was, I, uh, the opportunity a couple of weeks ago to meet up with a buddy of mine at, uh, at stir because I, I love stir. And as we're, as we're there, we had been meeting up there every week for almost two or three months. And I would always see this guy back his truck up into the parking lot, into the parking stall. And he would get out and he's got like the CrossFit gear on the CrossFit shoes. And I'm immediately judging this guy. Like I <laughs> immediately judging this guy. It's like, oh, he's one of those dudes, you know? And there was one day where he came in and he, he's backing into this, into the spot and he runs over the sign and he, he gets out and he kind of looks at the back of his truck. And I'm like, duh, like, of course you would do that because you're that kind of guy again, like just super harsh judgment. Right. And as we're sitting there, he goes and offer, uh, gets coffee. He sits down and he's, and he's takes out his laptop and um, keep in mind, like I've been seeing this dude for probably two months at this point. Um, my buddy and I are closing in prayer and the Lord says, I need you to go tell him that I'm sending help. And I'm like, what? what? It's like, I need you to tell him that I'm going to, I'm sending help. I'm like, no, I'm not telling. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I, no. <laughs> you know, the, the six-year-old me like comes out and like, no, I'm not doing it. It's like, Adam, I need you to go tell him I'm sending help. So my buddy gets up to throw his, his stuff away. And I go over and introduce myself. Uh, I was like, my name is Adam. Um, I, I work at St. Stephen, the martyr. Uh, I'm a Catholic Christian, you know, trying to cover like the big bases. I was yeah. like, and this may sound really weird, 
Um, so take it as you will, but the Lord wanted me to tell you that he's sending help. And this dude, Jim, just like stopped typing, closed his laptop and he looked at me and he says, what did you say? I said, the Lord wants me to tell you that he's sending help thinking like, I'm going to get death at this point. Right. (laughs) And the guy's face just turns bright red and he goes, wow. I said, well, obviously that means something to you. I don't know what it means. I'm just supposed to deliver the message. He said, well, um, I've been going through some, some difficulty in my life right now and it's really come to a head and I've, I'm trying to keep my faith like where it needs to be. And I've been asking the Lord, what, how am I going to do this? Mm. And I just asked him, asked him that question. And then you come up and tell me this, right? And so just like little things like that, where you are just putting yourself in a position, um, yeah, to be, to be a vehicle, to be a messenger. And, and it's scary. Um, I feel ill-equipped at times because he asked me the, the more, the more, you know, the more you're responsible for. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think that that also kind of like increases the ante on the other end too where he asks you to do bigger and bigger things because he knows that you have the ability to do them. Yeah. But I think it really is just a response and, and just, yeah, I, I, Jesus, I trust in you. Like you're not going to lead me into a place where I'm not going to flourish. Well, and at the most basic level, you're never really disengaging from this conversation with the Lord so that the Lord can bring to your attention a phrase, uh, just a little throwaway comment that someone says in conversation, you know, and you, you notice it in a different way. You hear it with like, you know, missionary ears, you hear it with the Lord and it's just like, yeah, follow up on that. Yep. And, and I think like, again, as people are out and about and trying to really be workers in the vineyard and to, to really be ambassadors for the Lord, I think the more and more that we don't go into fix it mode the more freedom that he gives us to actually hear because it's, it's, it's so counterintuitive. Like I hear somebody that's, that's suffering. And the first thing that I want to do, I'm the middle child. So I want to fix it. I want want to make everything better. Right. But like, what if they just want to want somebody to hear, just listen to what they're going through. Well, I think oftentimes when we do that, it's because we're, we're in a bad place, Mm -hmm. but man, if we're a place where we know the Lord loves us unconditionally, that puts us at ease to actually be present and to listen. Yeah, I mean, I think we have a lot of things that are competing for our attention and time, just on, on the ordinary level, right? Like, you obviously yeah. want to pay attention to traffic. <laughs> you obviously <laughs> yeah. want to pay attention to your your family and kids. But I, I think you, it's almost like asking asking the Lord for supernatural ears. Yeah. Like, I, I, Lord, I want to hear what you're hearing. I, I want to hear and I want to see what you see. So that it's no longer my eyes and my ears. I love that. Supernatural ears. So Adam, just kind of closing up here. What would you say to someone listening who wants to get better at making a meaningful personal invitation? I think first and foremost is to make yourself available to the Lord. I think that we, we really limit him based upon our own limitations. Like he'll never use me because he knows I'm not a good public speaker. He knows I don't don't know scripture. He's never going to give me those things. Right. And I think it's really allowing yourself to just be used and available is is the first thing. Like, am I in a position and in a posture where I can be sent? I mean, I I, I love, I love the fact that this is the year of St. Joseph because I think about him 
And like he went two different ways, both times. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know, and he didn't ask, well, what do you mean, Jesus? What do you mean? You know, Gabriel? No, he just went. Yeah. You know, and I, I think there's some, some freedom in that because there's not an expectation on the other end. Yeah. So I think the first thing is to be available. I think the second thing is to know that the Lord is going to wow you. Mm. Expect to be surprised. Yeah. Yeah. We, 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 for, because of where we are in our, in our lives and where we are in the world, I, I think about like my, my niece, my, my youngest niece, how much she looks forward to her own birthday and Christmas. And she opens those presents and those gifts and she hangs out with us. Like it was the first and last time that is ever going to happen because there's awe and there's wonder there. Like she knows that, that there's going to be something that she wasn't expecting, but we do a, a really good job of kind of placing our own limitations upon God where it's like, yeah, meh. Oh, another miracle today. Okay. I guess this is, we'll chalk this up. We kind of get into that, that yeah, like yeah. dismissiveness in our lives yeah. as opposed to like, gosh, like every day should be Christmas. Yeah. Every day should be Easter. Every day should be our first reconciliation. That's awesome. Adam, you, I know you're a well-read guy. Give some shout out to your resources that have inspired you along the way. Um, the first one, uh, and for those of you that might be involved in the mentorship program, is God Help Me. Yeah. I think that when this book was introduced to me years and years ago by Father Hazing, this revolutionized the way that I pray. Yeah. Should you give the uh, author's name? Uh, Jim Beckman. Jim Beckman. Yep. It's God help me how to grow in prayer. Uh, it's and like for guys, like guys, we like to, we like to know how to do things. We, we want somebody to give us the manual, right? Mm. Like, how do I make this yep. work? Versus our chapters four through six in this book are the manual. Uh, and the second one is a new read that I've picked up is from Christendom to apostolic mission. Yes. Put out by the university of Mary. We've been actually wrestling with this in the parish as a leadership team, and as a pastoral council, like, how are our eyes different? How should our eyes be different now in encountering people of today as opposed to people of yesterday? Mm-hmm. I think that's the second one. And the third one is, is going to be scripture, particularly starting with the book of John. Oh, and oldie but a goodie. Mm-hmm. So those three things. Awesome. Thank you, Adam. Yeah, it's been great. and It's been fun. All right, everybody. God bless.